0: Hello, all, and welcome to this very special episode of Finnerin's Wake. I had the great pleasure of interviewing a fascinating young woman by the name of Olga, an immigrant to America from Russia with whom my father works. Olga emigrated from Russia at the tender age of 20 just a few years after the total collapse of the Soviet Union, the empire in whose storied capital, Moscow, she was born and reared. Upon her graduation from high school, when, with unalloyed excitement, most young men and women look hopefully toward the future, her home country, in whose greatness and infallibility she was propagandized from a very young age to believe... Disintegrated. Imagine having to enter a world, as a young adult, that's in an active state of collapse, upon which ruin has been visited. In part one of this conversation, Olga describes to me the political disarray into which, as an adult, she boldly entered, while also remarking on the innocent Pleasures of a childhood spent in the twilight of the Soviet Union. At the end of part one, and continuing on into part two, she offers her insight about the current conflict in Ukraine. She, like me, is somewhat soft-spoken, but her message resonates loudly, and the experiences she recounted echo with me still. With that, I give you my conversation with Olga. So, Olga, um, first, I'd like to extend to you my gratitude for having me uh, in, in this setting. And I know that we'll be discussing some sensitive topics um, But I think it'll be worthwhile to learn your perspective as a Russian American, as someone who's seen both parts of this world, kind of the East, the West, and has a unique um, idea of where we are and, and perhaps where we might go. So, if you'd be so kind, just tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you were born, the city, and how you were you raised? How you were reared?
1: Um, thank you. My pleasure. Um, I was born in Moscow. And I had a pretty, you know, normal childhood, I, I guess, um, for the time that I was born. Um, I was born in
2: 1975.
1: Mm. Um, I remember my childhood as being a good childhood, norm, I, I would say, normal As far as what I perceived back then, right? Um, uh, What I can say is that uh, we were raised to be very independent from an early age. Um, Most of the parents always worked, like the moms could stay with the child up until probably maybe a year and a half or three years old and then usually both parents worked full-time. So we were raised to be pretty independent. Um, I remember always going To the store by myself or to the school by myself, you know, from a a very young age I would say six seven years old
0: now. Did Mm -hmm. you have many siblings?
1: I had I have one Sister uh, who's my half sister. So my mother my mom and my dad got divorced when I was very young Mm. maybe a couple of years old and um, My mom remarried and my sister is about Ten years younger than me.
0: Mm, Okay, so quite a distance in age. Yes.
1: Yes. I was I was his second mom
0: (laughs) so you you Had two roles for her I would I would presume both as a sister and almost as a As a as a as a mother as a a maternal figure. Yes. Yes,
1: for sure. Yes Um, I had to kind of take care of her in a sense of like um uh, I mentioned before the parents had to work my mom actually had to get up really early so I would be when I was probably 12 years old mm. I was responsible for getting myself up and getting ready myself for school mm. and then getting my sister up mm. and getting her ready and taking her to day, taking her to daycare wow. and then taking myself to school
0: wow wow quite a responsibility and I can I can sympathize with that to a certain extent my brother and I are separated by about seven years, eight years, just about eight years. So though I didn't have that paternal figure, uh, though I wasn't a paternal figure toward him in the way that you were a maternal figure toward your sister, I do know that that separation puts a different responsibility on a sibling, right? Your your presence in that person's life is far different from just a a, num, a, a normal uh, sibling. So tell me a little bit about your, your schooling do you remember very vividly um, the way in which you were taught? I know that maybe that's too broad a question, but the and and I understand you have a daughter yourself, mm-hmm. okay? And she was born and raised in America.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe a comparison of the education systems in 19 uh, Russia, Moscow, of the 1980s, and maybe America of the. The modern day Um, So what do you remember about your education In in Moscow?
1: Thinking back I feel like the education back then Was pretty good Mm -hmm. Because I feel like uh, there was a sense of Of a community And I feel like the teachers really cared For the kids Mm -hmm. And I think there was definitely more Involvement in In school and you You felt like your school was your second home and your teachers were your, you know, kind of second, had a second parental role in your life. And they, it always felt very important. Mm-hmm. I do remember having that feeling of, um, especially certain teachers, you would really get attached to, in a sense of, you know, having that role role um, model. Mm-hmm. And uh, the teachers, uh, the, the difference in, there was a certain difference in a uh, I guess in a setup where, for example, if you were to go to the same school from first grade till graduation, you potentially could be with the same group of kids all the, throughout all of those mm-hmm. years, and you really become like a family. Sure. I do remember that sense of having—it's like your—it's like your own family because mm-hmm. you spend so much time together. We definitely had more um, in general. We had more break time that I know here in US. It's only two two minutes in between each class, where all the only time you have is to go on, you know, from one class to the other. There so is there, no real time for to socialize. There was more
0: opportunity to, more to build opportunity. camaraderie. Yeah,
1: definitely more opportunity to socialize. Mm-hmm. There was a big recess. Um, for example, we had like for example, a, you know, a class of fifth grade, which would. Encompass three different groups, you know, different, let's say, classes, Mm -hmm. but we all would know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I think um, I don't remember, you know, bullying, for example. I don't remember anything that's present nowadays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people, some kids would tease, but it would never go into um, a territory of being mean. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, So I do, I do remember it as being. It's like in going to school, and I still so- communicate with some of the people I went to school oh, with. Nice. Yes, nice. so we still have that type of uh, uh, warm relationship,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that was that was a nice part yeah, of it.
0: And yeah, and that has persisted on, which is which is incredible, and it's of course something on which we'll touch a little bit later. But I'm sure social media and um, other things like that have facilitated that, the perpetuation of those relationships. Facebook and, and, yeah, it's and much Twitter easier perhaps now. have, have yes. facilitated it, but also at the same time perhaps make things quite a bit more difficult for a young woman going through her school uh, age years here in America. Now tell me, was there a heavy emphasis on education in Russia at that time? And do you think that emphasis was stronger There and then as it is or then it is now today
1: Yes, for sure. I think the education uh, Was a very important part. I don't remember anyone not graduating. Mm. I remember that um, it was very it was very important for you know, a student to do well in school. I even remember distinctly my mother telling me when I just went to school, she was telling me that I go to work, that's my job. You go to school, that's your job, and I expect you to do well. Mm-hmm. My mother never checked my homework, never checked my grades, only maybe during the marking periods. Um, so there was no oversight in the sense where she had to constantly tell me, do their homework. Mm-hmm. Has it has been done? She was not specifically involved in my studying, mm-hmm. but the parents were involved in making sure everything was doing was going well in school. Mm-hmm. I remember they had uh, monthly parent-teacher conferences, where the whole group of parents would get together in mm-hmm. school and they would communicate with the teachers to see what. Any, you know, back in the day, there was no such thing as privacy. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody knew everyone's business, I guess mm-hmm. um, But I think it does give you a sense of that community where you were You were you were raised to be responsible for your own actions You were raised to be responsible for your own schooling and studying Making sure you're doing well, you know, not embarrass your parents
0: mm-hmm. Sure, sure, and above um, all else Above all else Now, I'm, I'm so yeah. curious to know about your life in Moscow That that renowned city it's it's uh, fascinating to me to think that you could be raised in a city like that as a young girl in an age of incredible tumult and that I think is the point to which I'd like to go next uh, just to, to kind of roughly I'm thinking I'm thinking about the years and your ages you probably graduated high school toward the end of the 1980s roughly so of course even with a with a very slim grasp of history as an american <laughs> of of russian history as an american uh, one knows that in russia at that time in the soviet union at that time um your government was undergoing a, a an incredibly well revolutionary time revolutionary in a different way of course we're not talking about the bolshevik revolution mm-hmm. quite the contrary so sort of the disintegration of the Soviet Union while you were blossoming into a young woman you were uh, entering well the next phase of your life after after high school I guess it would be secondary school in in Russia maybe uh, if, if that's what it's called there so let's just delve into that I think that would be a really interesting thing to explore um, similar to let's say an American high school student graduating in in this in this age at 2022 when there seems to be so much upheaval and so much unrest gee whether it be economic or or racial or what have you so many different issues kind of simmering if not boiling at this point you faced something i wouldn't say similar you faced something more drastic when you were probably 18 to to 19 in that age group. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. What do you remember around the time you were graduating high school, politically, more broadly, in the USSR and and Russia, the Russian Federation, as it would become?
1: Yes, that was a very uh, um, interesting time. And I was, I would, I would say, yes, about maybe 16, 17. Mm. And when the Soviet Union started to kind of collapse, mm-hmm. and um, I remember actually, we have a family, um, we have family that uh, lives in Germany, mm-hmm. so I remember that was the first time for m- for us to for me actually to go outside of Soviet Union, Russia, mm-hmm. uh, and visit another country. Were they
0: in East Germany, or no?
1: They were actually in West Germany, wow. in around Frank- Frankfurt. Frankfurt. and I remember that time when um, this whole process was going on um, with with Soviet Union and um, there was so much chaos and it was definitely strange I always tell the story about um, how you would go to the store and there would be nothing Hmm. there Right? So even if you had the money to buy something, there was nothing available And I'm talking about everything from food to clothes to shoes So I remember myself being like 16 years old and needing, for example, a pair of boots You could go to the store where they would sell the shoes, mm. but there was nothing in the mm. store mm. And I remember going there every day for a whole month, you know, and kind of like you stand in line And... Um, when your turn when it was your turn and they had some boots for example you just were lucky if they had your size right you didn't you couldn't pick you know i want this uh, Mm. style or that style you just you just got whatever they had that day right and you were happy about it (laughs) because you had at least a pair of boots Mm. so it was definitely difficult you know to even buy certain necessities Mm. like you know sugar butter
0: let me interrupt very quickly Assuming you have Amazon Prime or any of those mm-hmm. instant mm-hmm. delivery services at your beck and call, do you sometimes think back to those days during which during whose many hours you would spend waiting in line, hoping that that pair of boots or a stick of butter would be available and then not knowing if you would actually obtain these these sometimes essential, sometimes unessential items that day? Do you think of that as you have at at the fingertip? Um, the ability to order things and have delivered the next day. Do you often think of that?
1: Yes. I hmm. t- I, to this day, I still sometimes tell people that how lucky you are, you hmm. don't even understand. Because I'm not blaming, it's a human nature, right? So if you never experience certain things, you it's hard to empathize because right. you've never been in, th- in this situation, right? Hmm. So I think people uh, take a lot of things for granted. Yeah. You know?
0: And uh, being from southern Florida, or at least living in southern Florida at this point, uh, many of my friends are Cuban. And some of them are second-generation Cuban-Americans. Some of them are recent arrivals to this country. And those who lived in Cuba, or at least spent their childhood in Cuba, they tell me a very similar story. They would go to the store for rice or for butter, or for whatever it was, and you would get your, your rationed amount with which you would have to survive for the next few weeks or a few months, depending on the, depending on the, the season. But the same thing with other, with other items as well, clothes and, and boots and other things like that. So it's, it's interesting for me to draw that connection between how things were in the Soviet Union at that time and how things still are in Cuba, or at least were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's a, it's a very interesting um, line to draw. Uh, so yes, there was a pe- period
1: of that time when the Soviet Union started to collapse well where all of a sudden we had nothing right, right. and not that it was always perfect before, but it had never been that mm-hmm. way, so it definitely was kind of shocking um so when i when we were able to go to germany and and actually the the day we landed in Germany, that's when um there was this whole putsch where they tried to overturn the government. They they wanted to get Gorbachev, Mm -hmm. who was the prime minister at the time, Mm -hmm. out of the office. Mm -hmm. And and I remember my dad was saying, was even saying that maybe we should, you know, um, ask to become the refugees while we still have a chance, you know, jokingly.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But I remember being in in Germany at the time and going to just a supermarket and how in awe I was of a regular supermarket mm-hmm. because for me it was just something that i had never seen before you know again, the variety this was of at, this was at, at, that at was the age in, c- it was 17? it was in 1991 1991 so i was yeah i was in high school mm-hmm.
0: it
1: was it was like an interesting experience that was my first experience to see the west seeing sure, the
0: west sure sure do you and what an experience that was i'm sure do you reflect on that often the fact that you I mean I, I I'm just fascinated by that idea. You basically made this transition into womanhood and you know this this chapter in your life was was simultaneously happening as your country was essentially collapsing um for many reasons and and whether that was a good or a bad thing maybe you have opinions on that uh, into which I'd like to delve but but do you think about that often or occasionally the fact that this historic event was happening right as you or you know your life was was just beginning to take form like was that was that of course it was difficult for you uprooted from your country but but did you have a sense of the historical moment at that age or or were you just a you know a 17 year old girl hoping to you know go on a date or go to university or what have you
1: i think at that age you don't have the same perspective mm. right if as as I am right now obviously Mm -hmm. right you always think back and reflect more at that age I think yes it was kind of scary right because we had tanks on our red square Mm -hmm. you know at the time it was a lot of you know infighting and uh, protests Uh, it was chaotic yes Mm -hmm. so you did have a sense of um, instability and anxiety of what's going to happen next
0: Um, and at that age as you probably know with your own daughter there's enough instability and anxiety yes yes coming from within
1: but I don't think you as at that age I don't think I really understood it you Mm. know the 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 enormous maybe um, effect of it Mm. you know you you were just kind of like leaving one day at a time um, and just trying to you know do what you had to do
0: now do you remember do you remember very many conversations, either amongst your, your family members or your friends, uh, regarding this situation? Was it commonly discussed, the Come on. political issues or, or thoughts of emigrating from Russia or, or maybe staying in Russia? Was this a common topic of conversation?
1: Yes, um, th- those top- topics were always discussed. And uh, they always tried to say that uh, we always discuss everything in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. Everything was, mm-hmm. in know, the kitchen conversation. Um, I don't. I think at that time, even you couldn't even really immigrate until, unless you were maybe in a specific category, right? So it wasn't just even easy to leave the country because it was. It was definitely there was a, an iron curtain for sure, right? Mm-hmm. So unless i guess you could be become a refugee um it it was nearly impossible to even go anywhere Mm um and they kept it that way on purpose obviously Mm -hmm. right so because if you don't see what's out there you know you always believe what they tell you Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. it was part part of the propaganda as well right Mm -hmm. you don't want to see anyone that they live a good life right Mm -hmm. and compared to yours so when i was a child for example and i was growing up i didn't know any better so to me it's it seemed fine Mm -hmm. because i didn't know that it could be better Mm -hmm. um it was probably easier to maintain that type of you know propaganda as far as you know we are great you know and everyone else is not
0: absolutely absolutely it's that the enforcement of ignorance Right. the concealment so when... the concealment of the knowledge that there is something different if not better different and that's one of the most powerful instruments that any government can wield knowledge, right. or, the, knowledge. or the omission of yes. knowledge
1: right so you constantly control the narrative mm. right so if the government controls the narrative it's very easy propaganda works sure we know that it sure. works in any country and even here, right? right. And so, no,
0: and no country is excused. No, no country is is not employing it to some extent. extent. Now, propaganda could be, you know, it, it has a, a negative connotation. It's it's not necessarily a positive term, but it's a useful one. <laughs> Whether uh, looking at it neutrally, it's a useful term. It's a useful thing. It just means in Latin to propagate. You're propagating what? A message? A good message? A bad message? typically a bad message. But propaganda comes in very many forms. And it's, it's ubiquitous, it's universal. So having brought that term into this conversation, as I was hoping you would, I'd like to know if you, upon reflection, can remember any specific forms of of propaganda that were particularly pronounced when you were a child, or maybe when you were a teenager or, or in your young adulthood. Do you remember anything specific?
1: I think um, the most poignant thing that I remember is, was um, it was a whole structure making sure that you know the, the propaganda started started since you were a child, right? Mm-hmm. So the main goal was to become a member of the Communist Party, right? So they started with you being a young kid in school. So there were multiple levels of it's kind of like a step, a ladder, right? So mm-hmm. you had to climb. So when you were a first grader, you they w- they would accept you into um, to be in. Uh, they would call you Actibrionic, which means like a you know they would give you like a little star that you would Once have again, to Once again, can you say that word? Aktibronik.
0: Aktibronik. Which translates to mean.
1: It actually, it, it doesn't mean anything specific other than it comes from um, the month of October, for some reason So I'm not sure oh, exactly Possibly the October October Revolution, revolution maybe, that's what it is ah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So it always had to do with Lenin and the Revolution, right, and the Communist Party So, at the, I think at the, once you reached the fourth grade, you would be accepted into, um, to be the pioneer, they called it pioneer in Russian, but, yeah, like a, kind of like a pioneer, where then you would have to wear like a, a red um, sc- red scarf on your neck, right? So you would go to school constantly, every day, right? So it's an everyday thing. It's and you kind were wearing like a hand. uniform. Yes, we yeah. always had to wear a uniform from first grade till I graduated high school, even though in high school, by the time I was in high school, that, that system was no longer mm-hmm. kind of uh, there. But we still had to wear a uniform, right? So we all looked alike, and we always, you know, the kids from first to first to third grade were wearing that red little pin, red star, and uh, fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders, I think, or seventh graders, they were wearing the red scarves, and you know. So basically, you were surrounded by that whole concept of we are all working for this specific goal. And I think, obviously, the books that we probably read or the history that we were taught, it was all uh, pointing towards that common goal of, Mm. you know, the the revolution was great, Lenin was great, everything that has been done, you know, back in that day um, was for us and, you know, magical time is coming mm-hmm. 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 so I think that was something that stays with you for sure because sure, sure, I remember sure. those I remember certain moments you know I remember the day I was accepted to be a pioneer because I was accepted a year earlier than usual so to be so proud right to, to have that feeling of being proud and um, just delighted and I remember irony in my my red scarf you know prior to that ceremony they definitely make you feel that way you know to to have that feeling sure sure I mean to have that type of excitement and it's you know
0: it's insidious but it is quite genius at the same time Mm
1: -hmm. she was always pointing to the yes you're doing something good yes it's not about even anything that I would say anything that's negative it's was mm-hmm. always about something positive
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and to to mix together a child's self worth right or his or her feelings about himself with the uh, with the advancement of the party's idea of itself and its want for future um, um, members uh, like I said it's just insidious but it is quite clever to capitalize on a child's um, impressionability so it's it's really something to behold um so just a question do you still have that red ribbon no that red scarf no no Mm-mm. interesting interesting and your sister was probably too young really to have to have gone Yes, I think
1: by the time Along the path because even of when I was pioneer. already in school yeah. and people were, who there was that moment mm-hmm. of the the whole Soviet Union mm. um, and the communist party collapsing, where you know even students in school they stopped wearing mm-hmm. th- those red mm-hmm. scarves, they stopped wearing um, any type of symbols um, from you know from the past. So it was just kind of like a it's in its own revolution sure. and revolting, of, sure. even though um, I always ask my dad whether at the time, because I was too young, right, and naive, but um, they were old enough. So I'd, I would ask them if they really believed in this, you know, if they really um, believed in what they were sold. And he was telling me, no, of course, we didn't believe in it. Of but course, they did not. They did not. But they just had to do what they had to do mm. there was no other way
0: well there were consequences <laughs> quite severe consequences had they had they diverged fascinating so uh, just thinking of this as a as a as an adult reflecting on your time as a child you can you can imagine the Oh, gosh, the, the the instability, as you said earlier, the instability of being led to believe a certain thing for many years, uh, 10, 15 years, you know, and then suddenly having that all collapse around you. Uh, there's a time during which you want to be a good member of the Communist Party, in good standing. You want to achieve your red pin and then your red scarf and, and be looked upon favorably in the eyes of the government, right, to which you're willing to or ready to submit yourself in, in many ways and then all of a sudden that just falls apart. So it's just fascinating to me to know that so much of your identity and your self-worth was probably tied up in that as a young girl, finding the approval in the eyes of the government and then having that government disintegrate, for lack of a better word. Now, during this time, you're, tell me a little bit more about your parents. Were they, or at least your mother and your it would be your stepfather? were they you said there were a lot of conversations in the kitchen right as there yes. are in many in many families across the world were they very political were they did you know exactly where they stood on matters
1: um when i was i mean when i was small i i don't necessarily remember specifically listening or paying attention um but i think People would complain, but they knew that there was nothing they could really do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember maybe being, I don't know, ten years old, and when there was one prime minister that we had in charge, Andropov. And I remember just repeating something that I had heard from school, and I, I said something to my grandmother at the time about something about him or mm-hmm. politics and. Politics, and I remember her telling her I remember her telling me to shoo, to, to to not say it even mm. though it was just only us in the room mm. She was still so scared that she would say that the walls can hear you Because mm. she still remembered the times And it wasn't like that anymore in the 80s But she still had the fear from the days when she was younger When the people were just torn out of their, you know, mm-hmm. houses and from their families sure. and sent away. And with... there
0: was a time when children were encouraged and incentivized to report on yes. their family members. Yes, yes.
1: So and you could there. You could... Those are
0: the walls. Those little, those little ones, yes, <laughs> playing at your feet, mm-hmm. could potentially, well, disclose your true sentiments and, and cause your, cause your, uh, well, your. Imprisonment or your or your death So
1: right and even back in the I guess in the 80s when I was a kid it wasn't like that anymore Mm -hmm. But I think and people could Talk more in the kitchen But they knew probably that there was nothing they could really do. They were just trying to survive Mm -hmm. Just live their daily lives and just do what they had to do, you know to really survive. I don't think life well in the Russia or Soviet Union has ever been great you know I think it put uh, the Russian people um, or any other ethnicities that live in Russia or uh, former Soviet Union they put people into that position of survival you know on a daily basis so when you just have to constantly survive you can't even think about anything political right mm-hmm. I think at some point and my dad was always saying that Um, no matter what happened um, his friends would say well we'll survive, we'll survive, we'll survive and he was always saying well I'm tired of surviving I just want to leave do you
0: think that's a distinctive feature of the Russian character if I can use that term that persistence in the face of heartache of difficulty and A spirit of survival, as opposed to maybe something more.
1: Uh, It probably uh, is a character maybe that was created by certain circumstances from history, right? And there could be uh, good consequences from that character or bad consequences from that character, right? Because you can go either way. You can become a criminal because you want to survive, right? Or you can... um, you can acquire certain good traits from being a survivor. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. It definitely, survival is definitely something that oh, I think the Russian population um, has as a skill. Right? Mm-hmm. Whether you know it turns it turns out to be good for you or bad for you, it depends, I guess, on the person. Yeah, yeah. But it does definitely make you do things right when you're trying to survive. Sure. I think um, as a human being, it does make you do things that you might not necessarily thought you could do or wanted to do Mm. if you did not have
0: to survive. Do you think there was a greater sense of hopelessness at that time? Yes, I think As though there wasn't great uh, enthusiasm, if I can use that word, for the future.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think even uh, back in the Soviet Union days, I don't think anyone... they always talked to the government, let's say. The government, the communist party was always telling you that there is this bright magical future, right? Mm. In five years, in ten years, and fifteen years. But I'm sure and what that... did that
0: bright magical future look like? Did they ever
1: I, I always ask that question, right? Like what what, what is what, Or
0: or at least yeah. maybe if they didn't specifically tell you, being a being a, a young girl? With your imagination uh, your imaginative c- uh, capacity were you able to conceive of this world
1: yeah i think it's I, that's why i i, I put i use the word magical in it because it's kind of like a magical story right sometimes like i've seen certain documentaries even here on um certain religious religions and cults, where they tell you about this magical place right that the that you are going to go to, but it's always magical because it's not real, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to pinpoint exactly. All they tell you is that you'll be happy, everyone will be happy, everything is going to be great. It sounds magical, but it's not real, mm-hmm. right? So where is that place? So I think they always made it in that sense where we will achieve something, mm-hmm. you know, great. What exactly that represented?
0: Yeah, yeah. and I, I think, have no idea. I think that utopianism is, yes, utopia, yeah. is inborn in in marxism in, in and in leninism in its extension and i did a short little video on this um, a few months ago connecting marxism and 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 religion and, and this isn't to disparage religion in any way but there are many attributes of marxism that are shockingly similar to those of well that would be a theological um, Prescription really
2: mm-hmm.
0: You have your u- utopianism at the end. That's your kind of your millennial um, well, Your millennial world into mm-hmm. which you're eventually ascending mm-hmm. um, Your Bible your communist manifesto. Mm-hmm. I mean the the, the sim
2: the Similar- the similarities
0: are, are striking
2: are striking right. but
0: it, I think one of the most important features of Marxism, is that it can tap into that religious sensibility and all that is, whether or not you believe in a god or subscribe to a certain religion or not, that that vein runs through us all. And Marxism has a very appealing way, and like I said earlier, I'll use the word again, an insidious way of of getting at that and of touching that nerve, and of depicting this world of of a utopian future, in which there is perfect equality, there is no suffering, um, the brotherhood is eternal, the 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 sisterhood is yes. is 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 natural, and and everything is is great, and to be disabused of that notion, well, gee, that's that's it's amazing, even to consider.
1: And if you you really think about it, because obviously we were all taught about You know, his his teachings and you know, Mm. we had to read it and it sounds great Mm. Right, so if you do believe in something like this, why wouldn't you want to be? Mm -hmm. be, Why wouldn't you want to live in that? It sounds like a great idea Mm -hmm. But it's not real, Mm -hmm. it's not realistic
0: Yeah, yeah Uh, And so there was a strong emphasis on on Marxist Mm -hmm. philosophy. I would think when you were in a more mature state, probably in your high school years, um, tell me a little bit about history in regards to Lenin and Stalin and Trotsky and these sort of interesting, if nothing else, interesting figures who have have touched the historical scene. Um, Were some of the uh, less attractive attributes of stalin for instance highlighted was there an honest retelling of history from the russian government's perspective so i'm assuming your your time in moscow uh, while you were educated there you're probably in a public school right yes so was there a very
1: um,
0: thorough examination of russian history or was it was it specifically censored to highlight its its successes and maybe conceal some of its uh, less appealing components
1: obviously up until um, the Soviet Union collapse all the history books that probably were written were dishonest Mm -hmm. Um, but during the the upheaval times you know obviously there was, was more and more truth coming out, obviously. But I think the history books, or at least Russian history books, have been written and rewritten and rewritten. I don't think anyone anymore knows mm-hmm. what the actual truth is.
0: Uh, remind me if you can. I, I should know this word, but it's 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 escaping me, of course, at this very moment. The name of the literature, the sub the literature that was um, prohibited from entering Russia, but somehow managed to sweep in and and infiltrate uh homes and libraries um in russian yeah it's a russian term and i i i think i know it but i don't want to say it and and be completely wrong
1: i think i think i know what you're talking about but it will come to me
0: uh if not now we can return to it later we can return Um. to that later
1: Yes, it was very. Pro- it's probably um, it was probably very hard to even get certain mm-hmm. um, literature mm-hmm. inside Soviet Union or read something that was not on the approved list, mm-hmm. right? So, I think only after the Soviet Union collapse, um, you could have certain access to certain literature or certain things that you you know you had no access before.
0: Now, were you very eager at that point to? re-educate yourself now we're, we're talking about you maybe and and we'll get into your, your your movement from Russia to Germany and then to eventually to America but at this moment in time were you very curious uh, to relearn that which you had no ability to learn when you were in in public school yes was there a great thirst for knowledge at this point as yeah. though you'd been deprived of many uh, of many well, of history, of a true telling of history did you feel as though you needed to re-educate yourself?
1: I think so. I think you always want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, And you definitely want to um, gain a different perspective and understand whether you were lied Mm -hmm. to, you know. And what it definitely turns your world upside down in the sense of, you know, you spend all those years thinking that Lenin was great right and the re- revolution was good for mm. us and then going backwards and reanalyzing basically why it happened who um, Was involved and who was to blame and who pr- benefited from it. So mm. it definitely um, Turns you kind of world upside down in the mm. sense of you don't know who's right who's wrong mm. um, Where you lied? you know you start you start reanalyzing everything and Mm. try to form your own opinion Mm. so it definitely is a strange was a strange feeling of kind of it's kind of thinking of okay i've spent all these years you know and been taught this and that but it's not true Mm. it's kind of like losing your identity oh sure
0: sure such a big part of us whether we like to acknowledge it or not is is the the country in which we're reared the, and
1: to realize that just because it's in the book does sure. not mean it's true sure sure.
0: sure. so someone else which is, is writing a this which is a perennial issue of course as we all know any book that we read even the most objective or at least putatively objective will have some sort of a slant will have some sort of a bias it's just it's just natural to the state of a writer of a, of a man or a woman putting pen to paper um, and there were
1: so many writers whose Novels and books were uh, prohibited mm-hmm. from being printed, mm-hmm. and they were also sent to prisons and mm-hmm. or in exile, or they had to immigrate and leave Ru- Russia, Soviet Union at the time. So yeah, it was it was even really hard for the people, like you said. There is a, always control of information. It's mm-hmm. really hard to even um, get not to get knowledge. Mm-hmm. You had you have to go out of your way. So, but I guess luckily for me, you know. I was still young enough when this process started happening when there was more and more information Mm -hmm. and um, the borders were not as um, tight anymore Mm -hmm. where you could actually find out more if you wanted to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you always had this I think even as a child you always had a sense of the West and I don't I'm not even sure where that sense came from maybe from me over here and things but i do remember even as a little kid i mean you know eight nine years old you you felt like it's something different right so because we did have tourists in moscow so you have seen foreigners you know coming over and you always had a sense of Something that you didn't understand mm-hmm. Something different. Yeah. They were not like us.
0: Yet so close. That's
1: so close, but uh, completely different yeah, yeah, so this is
0: this is one theme in which I've always been interested and I think it's because of my love of literature um, So the the westernizing impulse I feel has been In the maybe not in the heart of the Russian nation, but it's been circulating in its body, I think, from the very beginning, from the earliest stages, moving forward throughout history. You get to a man like Peter the Great, who wanted to make Moscow basically, what is it, a window to the West. Or Mm -hmm. you can have another leader, such as Vladimir Putin today, who wants quite the opposite, he mm-hmm. he wants mm-hmm. a, a very mm-hmm. a very stark line of delineation between the two,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and will suffer no incursion uh, from the from from NATO from the West. So that's always just intrigued me to no end, um, and uh, you know I, I love the works of Turgenev, and we talk about fathers and sons, and I think that work, whether or not you're familiar with it, I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps not. I, I would assume. I would assume so. Um, but it's a work. For those of you who don't know, that details basically four characters, essentially depicting two generations. Really, you have the fathers, the one generation, a little bit older, and the sons, a younger generation. The younger generation is a little bit more, I should say. Bazarov, the main the main son character, mm-hmm. you should, if you would call him that, even though he's not the son of of, of the um, the the chief character's father. He's a scientific materialist. He's an atheist. Um, you know, he's I guess he might represent the the modernizing progressive point of view, whereas the fathers are a little bit different, of course. You know, but a little bit more conservative. One father, though, is is a little bit more uh, oriented to the West and I think his brother is maybe a little bit more of a Slavophile, right, a little bit more interested in in Eastern matters. And and this tension uh, expresses itself in many works of Russian literature. Of course, I don't need to tell you this, but it, it appears and it reappears over and again, Pushkin and Tolstoy. So, yeah, I guess what I want to know is based on your readings and your experiences, how did you experience that that westernizing uh impulse did you feel very strongly that there was something different and perhaps better not so very far from your own border or did you feel well did you feel like the the brother of the of the of the father the uncle in in um fathers and sons did you feel like russia was was enough and and that that was the place to have a rejuvenating spirit just inside your own borders. And I'm sorry, that's a bit of a, a long question. Uh,
1: I definitely felt more as a more of a wanting to open those borders and get more West, mm-hmm. you know, or get closer to West. To yes, embrace the to West. To embrace, mm-hmm. embrace mm-hmm. the West, mm-hmm. definitely.
0: And your parents as well?
1: hmm I think so. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the majority of the people probably would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because I mean, like I said, I was young, but I think no matter no matter how much propaganda you are given, I think as an adult, I think you still realize that there is my there must be something better, mm. right? There must be something better, um, and you s- and there are a lot of smart people and intelligent people in Russia. They obviously, I'm sure, understood that no matter what, right? It can be all bad. Some know, of the most the brilliant
0: composers yeah. and authors and artists, yeah.
1: Um, because uh, and and probably something that is uh, uh, an attraction of unknown as well, right? So if it's something that you don't know, that it's always mysterious, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You are always curious, mm-hmm. right? I, I feel like when you don't know something, and the West was always mysterious because no one has seen it, mm-hmm. had seen it, right? Um so you always were curious what is it how is life over there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i definitely would i definitely felt like i was happy when the mcdonald's came to moscow <laughs> because in what year, it's kind of like in what year
0: did that arrive McDonald's. i think it
1: was over 30 years ago so 1990 i would say 1990 about 91 i think so not think.
0: soon not not long after the fall
1: Yes, yes. Episode. So it was kind of like a symbol, right? Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't about McDonald's. It was just about the symbolic right, nature right. of, okay, here we come.
0: Right, right, right. Our our our, <laughs> our march west <laughs> through the underneath the golden the golden arches. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: It was more yeah. of a symbol of maybe we will be able to, you know, get along mm. um, because it was, as you know, it was always a Cold War and. Um, uh, you know, people are pitted against each other as enemies mm. just because the government tells them so. Mm. You know, I, when I went to college here, um, the, I had an uh, an English teacher who was telling me who was young herself, and she was telling me um, that when she was a kid, she thought that Russians were not even like humans. Mm. So the way that and she was American. Yes, born, she was American-born. America. It was interesting, right? Mm. to to see that point of view, where during the Cold War, how the government's representation of other people makes you believe mm-hmm. into certain things, where you cannot even imagine them as the same human beings,
0: mm-hmm. which is a devastating thought, and and I guess it's,
1: which is sad to say because yeah, it's not yeah. true, right, uh, right. We right, are not right. the enemies. Uh, I f- I always feel that. People are just people no matter where they are from, and all you know, I don't want to say all, but the majority of the human beings they will they all want the same things, right? So, we all have more in common than not. Mm. I think it's all most of the time, it's the government that's and certain people in charge who are putting certain ideas into people's heads and that creates that type of animosity and, mm, mm,
0: um, and fear and fear and I think that's an important aspect as well the animosity is strong and, and, and that's very influential and that can motivate you to do much but I think the fear can motivate you to do even more to be not only disdainful of that other person be it a, a, a man from China or a man from Russia or a man from North Korea whatever, whatever, wherever he may be from but to be fearful of him, and I think it's by that fear someone can be manipulated quite thoroughly. Oh,
1: absolutely! Yeah. Fear is the, probably the best uh, tool you can have to mm-hmm. keep the people in line, mm-hmm. right? Look at Stalin. Mm-hmm. You 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 were kept in such fear that you couldn't. You were kind of paralyzed. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, unless you were really, really brave. You. you you couldn't really do anything. You couldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even now, right? So, you, even even though now at least you can escape somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the Stalin's era, you couldn't escape anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, it def- fear is definitely uh, the 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 best and the worst tool, mm-hmm. right? To mm-hmm. to use if you want to keep your people in control,
0: as it has been throughout mm-hmm. the entire course of human history, so mm-hmm. long as there have been governments, so long as there have been associations of men and women uh, in political communities, fear has been one of the most useful tools <laughs> of, which, of which a government used, yes. can, can avail itself. And it's, and it's still used is. now, here. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's why I say mm-hmm. throughout human history, I don't mean to exclude the, the yeah. current day. No, no, I certainly include the current day. And it will, it will long uh, exist beyond our lives. It will continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have something that powerful and that useful and that effective simply uh, be eschewed, be, be ignored. Uh, it's, it's too powerful. So uh, we, we mentioned your uh, university days just briefly here in America. Tell me, let's go back just one step to your transition, your movement from Russia to Germany.
1: We didn't move, we just went to visit Went to visit, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry It was just a visit for like a vacation
0: A vacation, okay, (laughs) very good, very good At the time where we could get out So then you returned to Russia
1: Yes, yes Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: now from that point, what was the motivation? I can imagine what it might have been, but what was your, your motivation or your family's motivation ultimately to move to America?
1: There was no motivation, it was a lottery
0: a lottery
1: yes my dad won the lottery there was there is actually still to this day there is a diversity lottery Mm -hmm. where um multiple countries can play this lottery um and technically win a green card Mm. so that's what my dad did he and he didn't even think anything of it at the time he was telling me but i think that year specifically, Russia was added to the list because every year I think some countries get off the list, some and countries get on this was 1991 or 1990? No, that was prior to that because we, um, I, well, I'm not sure exactly what year I would, I would have to ask him exactly. Sure. But um, we came to the U.S. in 1996, so it had to be mm. after 1991. I see. Because it the process took a couple of years, um, so. I think at whatever year it was, um, maybe Russia was added to the list of the countries that could um, um, participate in this program and my dad decided to just fill out an application and it was just a simple application, you just had to put your name and an address and send it to America <laughs> and at the time he was telling me that he just did it like, eh, just what what if Mm -hmm. and he completely forgot about it right so I think months later he received a huge envelope and it was from the United States and at first he did not even understand where it was coming from he had completely forgotten about this application that he filled out and um, apparently that was um, I guess from the program saying that we won Or he won the first round so now they wanted them to wanted him to provide obviously more personal information and more applications to Mm. fill out so that's how the process started Mm. so um, we were able to I think they cut the amount of people by half and you it's not like a lottery where once you won it then you know you get a green card you still had to qualify like there are certain requirements that you had to meet you know to be self-sufficient because you couldn't rely on the government to provide for you here um to have a specific education to have certain amount of money i guess um and because i was under 21 at the time and unmarried uh, he was able to put me as well mm. so the, the whole process took some time maybe a couple of years And um, I think he extended actually leaving to the U.S. up until like almost the last day because he could extend it for a certain amount of time. And I think, for example, the last day to come to the U.S. was, for example, January 21st. And we had the ticket on January 20th. Wow. Wow. Because my dad had extended it so many times. Mm. So it wasn't like he was not in a rush to go. Sure, sure, (laughs) sure. So, it wasn't like a a decision where we made a decision we're going to try to. And it wasn't that
0: urgent that you needed to leave immediately.
1: Yes, and it was like, um, I guess, a a luck. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, yeah, it certainly was.
1: So, it was kind of like an opportunity.
0: Sure.
1: And he asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, okay.
0: Now, were you very excited or enthusiastic about this, or or were you sort of like him? Uh, you know, could have stayed, could have gone.
1: Um, I don't think I. I can't say that I was very enthusiastic. I re- I wanted to go, but it, I was more scared to no. go, because if you imagine, I was already um, studying in the Mas- in in the university in Moscow. Okay. I was um, three and a half years in. And I would have to leave my university Mm -hmm. Um, I was 20 almost 20 years old so leave my family leave all my friends friends? come to the country that I don't know anything about yes I did not know the language at all yes so it was more of a fear right but at the same time yes there was an excitement to it obviously Mm -hmm. Uh, but a fear of unknown uncertainty Mm -hmm. as far as what's going to happen and I remember even when I was, um, I had to take my transcripts and my documents from my Moscow University Um, the dean was telling me Why are you going? Hmm. Because they knew I was leaving hmm. Why are you going? And you... probably
0: quite, quite near your graduation Assuming it was a four-year program In, in,
1: in, uh, in Russia we have like a five-year program For the bachelor degree hmm. type of a degree But the fifth year is more like a uh, year Big thesis, see, so four I years, and then but still, you so were more, yes, I more was than almost halfway done. Through. Yes, I was almost done, mm. and it's that's what he was telling me. You're almost done, you're doing great, you, you have so many opportunities here. Yeah. Why are you going to the United States? You will not, he told me, I remember, you would not make more than five dollars an hour.
2: Hmm.
1: I mean, at, at the time, he was right, probably. <laughs> when mm-hmm, I just came mm-hmm. to the U.S., I would not be able to make more than that. Um, But it was still that type of a situation where he was an old-school person Mm -hmm. Where he still believed certain things that, you know, they were told at the time Um, And the images that probably had been shown of Times Square with homeless people And all kinds of things that at the time seemed strange, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they were maybe true, it just depends on how you show them, right? And Times Square is not America.
0: It's all about the imaging, yes, yes
1: um so it's yes it's all about the image and how you how you put it into perspective. Yeah
0: and it, you think it's it a natural response to leap at the opportunity to to go to America or to go west from a place like Russia but but as you describe it's it's not that easy even if you do have the good fortune to to win a lottery you had so many so many reasons to stay in Russia at that point. Yes. Especially because it was just exiting well, it's its communistic phase I should, I guess we could call it that beginning to open up beginning to liberalize, beginning to westernize um, you know, you were being educated there, almost completing your, your degree, after which you would go and get a good job assuming, you know, everything was, that's what you wanted in life um, so yeah, I, I mean, immediately you think, oh yeah, of course you go to America and, and you You prosper there, but I'm sure it was not that easy to make that decision.
1: No, definitely was not because you know you're not a kid, Mm -hmm. but you're not really grown up anymore. I think it was, but at the same time, I feel like I was 20 years old, so I was still in that pliable stage where you know I could go either way, Mm -hmm. as far as. My dad was concerned, I think it was so much more difficult for him because he was my age right mm-hmm. now when he came to mm-hmm. this country mm-hmm. and I can only imagine how difficult it must have been for him mm-hmm. um, to learn the new language. I mean, oh, it was difficult for me too, but I was still younger and it's different.
0: very challenging.
1: So it was very challenging for him. I know that... Um, I, w- I know I, I'm probably thinking that he was even depressed for mm-hmm. a certain period of time because... It's very difficult when you when you you are in this position or situation of uncertainty at that age. Mm-hmm. Right. At least I was twenty, and I still knew that I still knew in my heart that as long as I could get an education, mm-hmm. right, I could still be okay. But for him, it would be more difficult at that age to thinking at the time: Will I be able to find my an, mm-hmm. a job? Will I be able to support myself? Right. You know all those right. questions. Right. Right. And plus being
0: isolated. I am. I am struck by anyone who makes that move that by that move i mean a move from a country um, distant from our own and and very different from our own culturally linguistically right Um, politically economically in in every possible way and comes here as an adult and 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 as 20 i mean yes you were sort of in that in between stage but an adult a young adult or a four-year-old man as your father was is just I it's something for which I have deep respect and I've I've really cultivated that respect even more uh, now that I've been exposed to a lot of a lot of like I said Cuban Americans and and uh, Venezuelan Americans and and and, and Latin Americans generally it, it's such it takes such bravery such intrepidity to make that move now I wonder at your age and I'm thinking about this now for myself would you be able to make that move right now with with I I think you have one daughter Mm
2: -hmm.
0: would you be able to make that move with a daughter if if the opportunity arose and and there was enough pressure behind you that that made it seem as though that move would be beneficial to both to you and your daughter What, what do you think how would you react?
1: That's a good question and I don't I mean if I were If I had to do it, Mm -hmm. I guess, right? We always do what we have to do. Mm -hmm. We don't think about it. We just do it, Mm -hmm. right? But would I want to? No. Mm -hmm. Because I know it is very difficult. It's kind of starting your life all over again when I'm ready to retire.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So
1: it's, it's definitely something. Even if I'm thinking, okay, I could go and live in another country, I don't know if I'm i'm not thinking about it as far as okay as long as they speak english and i don't have to learn anything else Mm -hmm. or uh, as long as i don't have to worry about my job you know Mm -hmm. so i can go and think about living in another country as long as i don't have to worry about a lot of different things Mm -hmm. but if you talk about doing this process all over again at my age i can't even imagine it's hard to imagine for sure
0: i i hope that americans And I mean by Americans in this instance, I mean people who were born in America. I hope we have, or at least can develop a greater sympathy for those who make that decision, the decision that your father made, and the decision many, many, many people are making, whether it be for reasons that are economic or political, whatever they might be. I hope that we can appreciate that, the, the bravery involved.
1: Definitely is very difficult. So it's I don't think everyone could do it. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely puts a different level uh, of Perspective and, and uh, the struggle like you really yeah. understand more as far as when you see people struggle right. You you do have that empathy for others more I feel as, uh, as yes, an immigrant
0: Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes now tell me upon your upon your arrival here in America did you feel American immediately did you feel American after a prolonged period of time Mm. do you feel fully American now
1: when I just came to America no I did not feel American at all Um, did I want to feel American yes Hmm. I guess, I don't know the exact American feeling, Mm -hmm. but... It's a very
0: ambiguous term. It means different things to different people. Different things
1: to different people, right? But I can say that um, I wanted to definitely learn the language. I wanted Mm. to speak properly. I definitely wanted to do as much as I could to uh, create a good life for myself and get a great job. And And I definitely put in a lot of Effort into my school and the language, and you know, being just more ambitious, right? To do, to do more or have something extra, to to accommodate for my foreign, you know, Mm -hmm. accent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I will always be an immigrant in the sense of, right? I wasn't born here, and I'll always have my Russian accent with me. But at the same time, I feel like if I'm. If I'm going somewhere, or even I'm going to Russia and coming back, I'm coming back home. Mm. Like here's my home now. Mm. I. That's do, so heartening.
0: It's so heartening to hear you yes, say that. Yes, I
1: do feel like um, U.S. is my home now, and I don't, there was probably some transition where. I started feeling more and more assimilated Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. feeling it um, as it it was my country as well. Maybe it started from when I became an actual citizen and I started to get more and more interested in uh, the political process of the Mm -hmm. United States and um, being more more politically interested Mm -hmm. and understanding the actual structure of the government. So I'm obviously um, more and more aware of everything that is going on, for example, in the country politically and otherwise mm-hmm. than when I was in my twenties, you mm-hmm. know when you're younger, it's not something that is you know that you're really into you know not the, i mean not for everyone but the majority of young people, yes. you yes. have your own issues to deal with at mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. but the older you get, you know the more you understand and the more you see so definitely there 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 was a transition where I feel like uh, I, uh, it is my home and it it's my country I love the country I can criticize the country as well sure. I don't think um, I don't think it's wrong to criticize it it doesn't mean I don't love it I that to me that means I care mm-hmm. right I care about this country I care about making sure that all people who are here are safe and protected Absolutely. and um, if um, the United States talks about being you know, one of the best countries in the world and the rich countries, I want to make sure that all people benefit from it. So mm. I do feel and that sounds American, because I do um, have that empathy for American people and the country and I want the country to do well.
0: Mm-hmm. And you think your, your greatest barrier upon ar- arriving here in America was the language? It seems as though that was the most yes, difficult that was you. the
1: most difficult, of course. Um, and I should
0: say, you speak beautifully and eloquently oh, now. Thank you so much. So thank all you. of your hard work in your twenties is, is more off. than paid off.
1: Yes, I remember. I remember living in Brooklyn at the time when we just came and we lived in Brooklyn. And I, oh,
0: I should have asked. And you, you came to New York.
1: We came to New York because it was much easier
0: uh-huh.
1: to transition. Like Brooklyn, for example, area, they still had a, a lot of Russians, mm-hmm. right? So it was an easier transition,
0: yeah And you had family here? Any other extended family no, members? No? no, one. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and I remember, yes, living in Brooklyn And we took um, English classes, like, for a few months before I was able to go to college here and finish my degree um, and I remember going to the library, public library in Brooklyn, and would just get the books that I knew would be interesting to me, and try to read them. Because the teacher was always telling us, even if you don't understand every word in the sentence, you can still understand the meaning of th- mm. those couple of words you don't understand. So I tried, yes, I tried to immerse myself into the language, to read it, to hear it, to speak, it, but definitely was one of the obstacles for sure mm, it mm. was really hard especially you have to remember back in that day we didn't have google translate
0: i know I know. so uh, everything I, I, I had to translate I've... was
1: from the dictionary <laughs> it was it was so difficult
0: yes in a perfunctory way in a in, a, in probably not the best way i've approached spanish but uh, it's again it's it's so much easier today i mean there are so many apps of which you can avail yourself um, in online uh, uh, communities, of which you can make use, that you simply did not have in that day. I mean, in, in Brooklyn, I'm sure you were you were you know walking around and you were hearing Russian spoken all the time because you were in mm-hmm. these communities, mm-hmm. these tight knit, mm-hmm. tight knit recent immigrant communities. So you could yes. easily just continue speaking Russian and probably exist there in that in that way for. Yeah. For quite a long yes. while and be completely comfortable in doing so but and
1: a lot of people do do that sure but sure but I, sure. I did know at the time i mm. did not want to do that yeah
0: so yeah I... and it happens everywhere and it, mm-hmm. it happens in florida happens in california with spanish speakers it happens it can happen in any in any small community which is again why why america is such an interesting place linguistically uh, you get these pockets of, of of communities that that basically are their own little linguistic uh, worlds it's very very intriguing and of course words then tend to flow in and out so maybe a little russian comes into english and it becomes common parlance in 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 our daily lives Um, but no i can definitely sympathize with the difficulty involved in trying to learn a language especially a language that's i guess it's non-romantic in a certain way like from russian to english it's, it's much more difficult i would think than say spanish to english or english to spanish just because there's so many similarities with some of the latin based Mm
2: -hmm, um mm
0: -hmm. words whereas you're looking at what is it a syriac i mean you're looking at a syriac alphabet to a Mm -hmm. to a roman more roman based alphabet alphanumerical system so yeah just just a a great difficulty that you overcame overcame it beautifully um and and you speak wonderfully, so you should have no Thanks. hesitation. I'm
1: sure I still make mistakes. Wow, well, none, and none detected. We'll,
0: we'll have to review this audio. Make, right. <laughs> I'll have but, to scan I, it quite I closely. I still feel
1: like I want to learn, no matter what date. even though so many years later, I still mm-hmm. want to learn something new if I learn a new word. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about mm-hmm. it, you know, how do I use it in a sentence, mm-hmm. you know. So to me, it was and, always and very And just for
0: exciting. for anyone who's listening who might be learning a new language, do you have any techniques? Of which you make use. Do you keep a, a journal of, of new vocabulary words that you have learned or read throughout the course of the day? Do you read a certain magazine where you know you'll find a new, extraordinary, rich word? Do you do anything like that?
1: I I, I love to read books, mm. right? To this day, even though I don't have as much time anymore, but mm. I still, I still. So I feel like when you read when you read books and. You always find something new, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't use specifically in our, you know, regular day-to-day sure, speech. Sure. Sure. Um, but I try to expose myself to other things that are not just a daily uh, vocabulary. Um, so you politic, political vocabulary, right? Mm-hmm. Medical vocabulary, mm-hmm. you know, financial vocabulary. So and and when I was younger, um, I, I was uh, my first job was with Merrill Lynch, and we had to go through. Um, uh, leadership technology, technology leadership program where we had to uh, learn a lot of financial accounting, and we had to take um, series sixty, series seven, and sixty three tests mm-hmm. to become like stockbrokers. So that exposed me to a lot of financial terms and vocabulary. And you know, I like to learn more and more. So I f- now I feel like you know I can listen to anything or anything mm-hmm. you know,
0: from the Soviet Union to Merrill Lynch. Yes, that yes. might be the n- <laughs> the yes. title of this yes. of this conversation. It was very fascinating. It was
1: very um, good to be in that position. So only after a couple of years of being an immigrant, I was able to get this great job. Wow! You know, so on my own.
0: Extraordinary.
1: Very, very yes. I was very proud of myself at that time.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you should have been. As mm-hmm. you should have been.
1: It it, it definitely uh, gives you a sense of an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. That maybe you don't feel if you are born in this country,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: but again, I think certain traits that you learn, you know, from your childhood, you know, of being, of being independent. Like we talked about the survival, being independent and going through tough situations. Um, uh, maybe not having everything that you want or, or even need at all times, you know, that helps as well mm-hmm. when you are mm-hmm. becoming a young adult and trying to go through life. So i I hope that no matter what you know experience I had growing up in in Soviet Union mm-hmm. It wasn't all bad. So mm-hmm. it maybe helped me Become who I am today
0: mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're now instilling a lot of those virtues Into your own daughter.
1: It's much harder though. Yeah, because we are in, in the way? United States <laughs> Yeah, it is harder because obviously um, you are in a different environment right? Mm-hmm. that you cannot really control So I think it is much harder to um, To show you know That things could be different you know Because she could always tell me okay. this,
0: this is a strange question But in some ways do you Do you wish she could have Some of the experiences through which you went As a young girl
1: I think so I think because some of the like I was Mentioning before some of the experience that um, We went through as kids were good Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's specifically because we were from Soviet Union or because of the time you know when mm-hmm. we had no electronics right and we had to communicate mm-hmm. right with all mm-hmm. our friends. Mm-hmm. But I think it did it did give me a sense of um, uh, of belonging mm-hmm. because I can see even um with the generation of my daughter's generation, I can see that they are kind of socially... Disconnected mm. in the sense of they don't feel like they uh, they belong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's I sort of the, it's ha- sort of the yeah. paradox. It's this right? hyper connection like that's causing but disconnection. Yeah. Where I can see the difference between how, like I said, I I've always felt like a part of some family besides mm-hmm. my own family, right? And I think it's important at that early age because parents always work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Very many parents don't have time that much time right to spend with their kids even if they want to and as a child i think you do need that other that other part to be filled with something else so instead of it being filled with you know maybe gangs and criminal activity mm-hmm. you you did have a sense of it being filled with other people in your life more you know role models that i still remember to this day right people who were involved in your life uh, your teachers you know people you know just uh, school teachers other uh, adults where you did feel a sense of belonging loved cared for you know that mm-hmm. sense of community mm-hmm. of helping others
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think I wish there was more of that yeah nowadays.
0: And, and that's fascinating because we Americans generally look uh, look askance at the USSR, in all in all ways, we, we look at it very suspiciously um, and, and disapprovingly. But it's, it's a revelation for me to hear about your experiences as a child, the positive experiences as a child in that setting, we can look at it now and, and look at it, break it down um, from its economic mishaps to its political um, atrocities really, and if we're, if we're looking at the, the age of Stalin uh and and condemn it as well we we probably should and you might join me in that com- uh condemnation but but there also were some some perhaps not compensa- compensating <laughs> compensating uh, features but some very good features as well um, that sense of community that was built amongst you and your your schoolmates and your family and your friends um that, that certain pride that you had in yourself and in your and in your nation and in your community as a young girl. Um, that that urge to survive that you described a little bit earlier. That's that's lacking here in that in that in that intimacy with everyone, that in that tight knit that tight knittedness, I guess I could call it, of the fabric of your community. And yeah, some of that is missing here in America, I think, I think it's so. especially today
1: I think so and I think a lot of st- of the maybe issues and problems with, with that we see here, here, mm-hmm. here Stem from that, right? So if the community is tight-knit, you know, mm-hmm. then it's harder for it to break and uh, Break apart So you stand together and mm-hmm. you try to help each other out. So yes and Besides everything else that was negative going on, right? As, I don't want to say that being a child was a bad
2: mm-hmm. experience,
1: mm-hmm. you know, because again, you didn't really know any better. Life was simple. Yes, it was simple. We didn't have much, but no one had anything, mm-hmm. right? So
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's not like you saw rich people, right? And you were, you had the same shoes, the same uniform. There was no competition of anything, you right. know. And no disparity. No disparity, right. right? So it was always... Everyone pretty much was on the same. I mean, we can can look at it now, obviously, and say, well, that's not a good way to live either. But we're talking about from just a child's perspective. Mm -hmm. Everybody was the same.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: The life was simple. It was not maybe easy, obviously, especially for the parents. Mm -hmm. But as a kid growing up, I don't remember it being negative. Mm -hmm. I always have good, maybe good memories, you know, my dad taking me to the theater and the ballet and Mm -hmm. circus and... Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe when you did get all those special things once in a while Certain presents they meant even so much more to you as a kid, you know, than having Christmas full of boxes
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know,
1: I feel like the the sense of excitement for one thing or even um, oh, We had we we had Santa Claus for the New Year celebration, for example, and all the gifts that Santa brought was for the New Year's, not Christmas at the time, because back then religion was not mm. allowed. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was so exciting just to get something small, just mm. like a one gift here, one gift there. Um, it brought so much more joy I feel like than nowadays, you know, kids have everything as mm, it is
0: There's an inundation of gifts, gifts and toys and all sorts of good things mm. yeah, For which there's very little appreciation because of that Right, so you
1: pre- felt like you appreciated so much more mm-hmm. It gave you that sense of, wow, you know, the, the, the sense of like being a child, you know, it's like me coming to Uh, Germany and going into the supermarket Mm. at 16 with like wow you know or coming to the United States uh, at the age of 20 and seeing all the things that I had never seen for example in Russia back in the day and thinking about them as wow you know now you know you don't even pay attention to those Mm. things but it's nice to have that feeling of wow
0: Mm. you know Mm. when
1: i just came and i was for example maybe excited about something silly i think i think it's important
0: to preserve a little bit of that sense of wow even today and i think that's something that i will carry with me from this conversation Uh, i try to be very grateful and appreciative of of just the prodigious amount of everything that we have uh, to which we have immediate access. Um, But it's difficult if you always exist in this in this world where uh, you know every every type of mango is available to you if you want a small honey mango if you want a large you know (laughs) a green mango. I'm just using that as an example but we fail to recognize just how difficult it is for some people, and and how how scarcity can affect others in different situations. And, and here we have so very much, and it might not feel like it now, because we're in a more difficult economic climate at this hour, recording now in the summer of 2022. Um, But still, I think that that appreciation, that gratitude for all that we do have, is absolutely vital. And, and it's from conversations like this one, that I'm reminded of that, and uh it helps me to 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 build a to build that to strengthen that, so I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the current conflict about which to be completely frank, a lot of us seem to have forgotten and I'm only reminded of it as I gaze to my left and look at the uh, the Ukrainian flag, so we'll just touch on it briefly um, so let me just ask you generally, what are your thoughts about the current situation as things stand right now. The invasion, of course, happened in what What was the 24th of February of 2022. We're now in June, mid June of 2022. The world hasn't completely forgotten about this conflict. But as you probably know, the way things go in the world, and especially in America,
1: Breaking news always breaks some other
0: news. Breaking news always breaks older <laughs> news. You're absolutely right. And I love that. Uh, I love the I love the term. I don't love the the phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, of, of which it's, a, it's just a descriptor. So just your general thoughts about, about the situation as it is right now in June of 2022.
1: Well, I think it's really horrific. I really don't even know if I have the right words for it because um, when... The war started, I feel I felt like I was in shock, hmm. to be honest, myself, because even though everyone was saying that it was happening, right? Um, you still couldn't believe, oh, well, I couldn't believe that it was going to happen. Hmm. I think it's a sense of denial because of something that, right? You, something so horrific that you, your brain is denying the truth. And I think for the first month, I couldn't even really... Process the information I was so into watching the news waking up, you know And turning on the news constantly watching the news after I, you know, I got home in the constant cycle of the news of what's happening And obviously um, I stand with the people of Ukraine and I feel very helpless and Heartbroken Hmm. um, Because of this situation Hmm. Um, I, I was not born in Ukraine, but I have a lot of friends who are from Ukraine, and I know, for example, that my grandma was born in Belarus. Belarus. And we all, as Slavic people, probably have certain DNA that comes from you know one from sure, or the other. Sure. I really don't understand how uh, how a li- one person leader can decide that this is what we're going to do to our own people, mm. not to mention killing his own pe- soldiers for absolutely no reason mm. other than, I think, to have that power mm. that he always wanted and, to be honest, I always knew, or, you know, we always knew that Putin was evil even back in the day, but you know seeing this type of um, atrocities and destruction brings it to a whole new level mm-hmm. where you can't un- Can't even process it to be honest or understand yeah. why it's happening mm-hmm. um, So it's 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 really hard very yeah. hard is and I know you know Like I said now that I'm older I'm always up on the world affairs, you know, I and know what's going on in the world and i know there's always a war somewhere Mm -hmm. right because especially i think coming from my grandma's generation who went through the world war ii specifically and being a kid growing up in the soviet union constantly constantly being taught about the world war ii you wouldn't believe the amount of movies they made about the war, the amount of books to, that we had to read about the war. So even as a little kid, you always had that sense of the war. And
0: I'm I'm sure it's a time of which the the Russian people have, uh, or about which they have great pride, right? The fact right, that because they yes the fact that, right, we, right, right, yeah, as, the fact that they bogged was, down the, yeah. the, the Nazi forces in right, the movement it, east yeah, in Moscow, especially, yeah. and then so, of course you know the destruction of Berlin.
1: Yeah, and my Yeah, that The proud moment, yes Of the Russian forces If it wasn't maybe for Russian forces Who knows What Mm. could have happened Mm -hmm. And my grandma would always say No matter what's You know, what difficult situation We were in She would always say Well, at least there is no war Mm. That was her that was her saying at mm-hmm. least there is no war mm-hmm. at least so like guess like we talked about b- before someone who never experienced it right the, the, she experienced what it was like so to her no matter what situation there is you know she always came back to comparing it to the war mm-hmm. so comparing to the war we are okay mm-hmm. so when the war i feel like in 2022 against your own people I really cannot understand how you can justify
2: mm.
1: at all. There is no justification for killing people. And like I was saying that I even though I know and as a kid you always felt like thank God there was no war. I wasn't thinking God back then but <laughs> you were thinking about you know but there is no war how lucky we are right there is no war when I'm when I'm a, a child living in the, this life there is no war that I remember thinking that because of how impressed impressioned you are mm. and now even though I know I'm not a child anymore and not naive and I know that no matter what year it is there is always a war somewhere in the world then
0: Our conversation, at this point, was unexpectedly interrupted by a phone call, to which Olga had to respond. As I later learned, the person calling her was a friend from Ukraine, whose family had escaped the razed city of Mariupol. Mariupol, whose name might be familiar to you, is an industrial city located in the southeastern part of the country, not far from the Russian border on which the Kremlin unleashed much of its military fury. It now lays in ruins. After talking with her friend in Russian for a few minutes, Olga returned to our interview, at which point she described her feelings about the current war. For the rest of her thoughts and our conclusion, listen to part two of this discussion, posted above this episode.